0: and how to have a firmer grip on the entirety of the gospel message. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, this evening. So before I get started, I'm going to share a story with you. A teacher was testing the children in her Sunday school class to see if they understood the concept, concept of getting to heaven. She asked them, If I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale, and gave all the money to the church, would that get me to heaven? No, the children answered. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me to heaven? Again, the answer was no. Now she was smiling. Hey, they're getting it, she thought. Well then, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and loved my husband, would that get me to heaven? She asked again, and they all answered no. She was just bursting with pride for them. Well, she continued, and how can I get into heaven? A five-year-old boy shouting out, shouted out, "You've got to be dead." So while this is a cute, funny, and seemingly innocent story, it does shed light on a sad and unfortunate reality in our postmodern, secularized, relativistic society, and that's a lot right there. In his book entitled "When Worlds Collide," R.C. Sproul. Reminds us that the concept of hell has been all but erased from our culture's consciousness. The currently most popular doctrine of salvation is not justification by faith, nor justification by works, but justification by death. In this view, all one has to do is be transported, to be transported into heaven is to die. We have removed from our consciousness any idea that there may be a more grim destination for the human soul than eternal life in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we've only begun to see the destructive implications of our postmodern secularized culture, as well as the effects on the Western church. Not only has Satan used secularism to shape our relativistic and godless society, but it has infiltrated the local church, whereby evangelism has suffered immensely. Amen. Question this morning, or I keep wanting to say this morning, question for you this evening, and this, is, this applies to me too, when's the last time you shared the gospel with another person? When's the last time you looked somebody in the eye with an open Bible, with a gospel message, and said, hey, don't you know that God loves you? Don't you know there's good news? Don't you know there's bad news? But don't you know that God in his sovereign will created a way for you to be saved from the sin that separates you from him. I don't know about you, but in my five years as a full-time missionary, it's so easy to get caught up in the program. It's so easy to get caught up in the daily grind with things. Um, A lot of work in the office, a lot of work at camp, you know, helping maintain things and getting things ready for youth retreats. It's so easy to get caught up into those types of things that we forget what our call is as Christians to be evangelists. We're all called at one at, at, we're all called in one way or another to evangelize in the culture that surrounds us. My aim this afternoon is to remind us of the reality of the fake of the fate of mankind without Christ and to turn our attention to a properly defined gospel and its implications as documented by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible and uh, our turn there, let's lay out a little bit of context before we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So first of all, Paul wrote uh, his first letter to the Corinthian church approximately 54-56 A.D. um, while he was in Ephesus. If you look at Corinth, it was a prime city of commercialization, idolatry, and sexual immorality. Overall, you could describe it as a pagan society. It was a place where being a Christian was not an easy matter, and knowing what a Christian ought to be was difficult. Which is why Paul had to address a wide range of issues among members of the church factions, incest, members suing each other, problems with sexual impurity, and quarrels, just to name a few. The overarching theme of 1 Corinthians is how to live as a Christian in an increasingly secular world, which is why I find this message of the gospel so relevant to us today. And of course we know that scripture is always relevant. I shouldn't have to say that for us to know that. So follow along with me, and uh, I know Kofi usually has us stand when we read uh, the word. You don't have to, but if you want to, feel free to do that. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received Our gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. God, that you would incline our hearts and our ears to the knowledge and wisdom that flows from your throne. God, that we might be able to stand firmly in the faith that we have. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for being the sovereign one over all creation who works all things together for your glory and our good. Give you all the praise, honor and glory that God's church said. Amen. So to take a look at uh, the Greek word for gospel used in this passage, which is and I'm not good at pronouncing these, eugelion, which actually means literally God's good news. This tells us uh, that the gospel includes the entire Bible. It's where we get the word evangelical. Church that is evangelical holds to the highest standard the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, uh, the gospel can actually be looked at in two different parts. Uh, First, we have uh, God's simple plan of salvation, which we can find through various evangelistic tools like the wordless book. Any CEF people in here? You ever use the wordless book? Uh, gospel tract literature, steps to peace with God, things of that nature. Um, our ability to communicate with others the actual gospel message by which they can believe in Christ and receive salvation from their sins. And then the other part of the gospel that I'm going to talk about, and this isn't the second gospel, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me here. It's A broader part of the gospel, which refers to God's establishment of his kingdom on earth through the Holy Spirit, empowering and equipping of his church, right? We know that we don't serve a deist God who created everything, put it in motion, and then stepped away, right? We serve the God of all creation who is actively engaged, not just in the events throughout the course of history, But he's actively engaged in every area of our lives god desires intimate fellowship with us amen and he's made that possible through his son jesus christ so just to have a working definition of the gospel for the sake of this message in a nutshell it's the good news concerning god the father's sovereign work of grace to save sanctify empower and equip people by faith and repentance through the person and work of his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So, I believe there are six implications of the gospel found in this passage that we can use to utilize in our efforts to refine our Christian worldview and more effectively serve God as evangelists in our communities. Please use the note sheet in your bulletin to follow along. So the first point in the sermon will be the prominence and power of the gospel. So in verse 1 and 2, first of all, the word prominent means to have a state of importance. That's the reason why Paul reminds the Corinthian church of the gospel that was previously preached to them during his second missionary journey at approximately A.D. 52, along with Silas and Timothy. So important indeed that he remained there teaching them for a year and a half. You can find this account in Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 17. I would encourage you to check that out. Paul continues by stating the power of the gospel that is able to save us and enable us to withstand and combat the lies of Satan when we choose to hold fast or cling tightly to the truth. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you. In my 27 years as a Christian, there have been times where my faith has wavered. There have been times where um, I've become depressed or struggled in one way or another. And I can tell you that clinging tightly to the gospel was God's way of bringing me, through his Holy Spirit, to my right mind. See, when we cling tightly to the truth of the gospel, God brings us back. It brings us back into fellowship with him. Friends, it's essential that we cling to the gospel if we want to become effective witnesses in our present day. We also do well to pass on what we learn from the scriptures pertaining to the life and teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the apostles to our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, friends, and neighbors. I think that would apply to all of us here. If you're a brother or a sister, mother, father, grandparent, uh, aunt, uncle, there is somebody that you can help guide them in the truth of the scriptures, that they might know the gospel and that they might be prepared because the days are evil. And we're living in a day right now where things keep escalating faster and faster I honestly believe, and of course, I can't give any date. I I think we're living in the last days. I think the escalation of events, uh, when we look at things happening around the world, when we look at things happening in our culture, it's safe to say, and you don't have to look that far to to see the results of sin in the world and its devastating effects. I like this quote by J. Vernon McGee where he states, there are some folk referring to those influenced by secularism, who say they do not believe in a hereafter religion. They want a here and now religion. May I say to you that I have both a here and now religion, and a hereafter religion. Brothers and sisters, the gospel cuts through the lies of secular naturalism by introducing the the supernatural reality that there indeed is a God ruling over the here and now and thereafter. The gospel reveals his love, which transcends time and space and defies all reasonable worldly logic. And I say that because I remember the time when Christ met me where I was, a sinner destined for death, destined for separation from God forever. And the gospel was shared to me. And responding to that gospel, he gave me his Holy Spirit, which gave me the power to resist temptation and to live boldly for him, the Holy Spirit that that revealed truth found in the scriptures and helped me to understand it. That's why Paul tells us in in Romans 1, 16 through 18, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You know, uh, earlier in this service when we were reading through some of those passages that reminded us of our complete separation from God, our, our total depravity, our inability to do anything good apart from Christ. Um, I just thank God for His grace, and I thank God for always loving me no matter how bad things get. We live in a culture, brothers and sisters, where relativism seeks to suppress the truth of the gospel. We have to be strong in word and courageous in our defense of God's objective truths found in the gospel, which is why it's important for each of us to do our part as evangelists by clinging to the gospel tightly, sharing it effectively, and making disciples who can and will do the same. One of our aims at Furpoint, our, our main aim at Furpoint Point Bible Camp and Conference is to create an environment uh, by use of creation, by use of scripture, by use of Uh, the Holy Spirit working in and through people, we give young people an opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to it. And one of the other things that we do is uh, high schoolers who've responded to the gospel, who have a relationship with Christ, we we train them, we disciple them so that they can come back to camp and serve as volunteer staff. And I just wanted to say that... um, You don't have to be in full-time vocational ministry uh, to be deeply involved in ministry. My wife and I work really hard to train our children up in the way and the truth, uh, to have devotions with them, to have family prayer times with them. And I don't say this to pat my wife and I on the back. Uh, We know that this is something that we have to do if our children are going to grow up knowing that God loves them, knowing that God has a purpose and a plan for their lives. Moms, dads, are you doing that in your home? Grandparents, are you encouraging your children to do that in their home? Are you contributing to that? The second part of this uh, of this sermon uh, is the relevance and reliability of the gospel. The relevance and reliability of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, what makes the the gospel relevant in this passage is that Paul labels the saving grace of God through the atoning and redemptive work of Christ through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. This is exciting stuff. Nothing and nobody can thwart the sovereign plan of our God. Amen? He is indeed the miracle worker. Only he can make the one deader than a doornail to be the door that all must enter to receive eternal life. You know, before I met my wife, my wife and I, we met on eHarmony. We'll be celebrating our 13-year our anniversary uh, on May 2nd. I didn't forget the date. Um, but before I met my wife on eHarmony, there was another young lady that lived in South Dakota, and uh, she was the Seventh-day Adventist, and we were talking about uh, the doctrine of... of uh, <laughs> we were talking about uh, salvation by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone and, uh, and of course we know that many Seventh-day Adventists are very legalistic in their approach to uh, what one must do to maintain their salvation um, and I likened myself to a road kill and I asked her, I said, have you ever seen any dead animal on the side of the road bring itself back to life she said no And so we, apart from Christ, have no ability to restore our original, uh, to restore uh, a proper relationship with God. That we've all turned to our wicked ways, that we've all gone astray. And, uh, And that we're all cut off apart from the work of Christ on the cross, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And, uh, Needless to say, she kind of dropped me like a hot potato. And I'm very grateful for that. Because I ended up with, with Amy, my lovely bride. So what makes the gospel re- relevant is that Paul, Well, I already read that. Um, apologize for that. It is also important that we look at this passage to understand that this was a time in the early church where the heresy of docetism which denied that Jesus took on flesh, therefore discounting his bodily resurrection and ascension. Docetism rejected key elements of the gospel message and created confusion and division among believers in the church. Which is why Paul addressed this, um, not just here, but also uh, uh, starting at verse 12, going through verse 19. So I would encourage you to spend some time studying this passage and dig out the nuggets of truth um, that not not only were relevant here and now during this time of uh, uh, confusion in the church due to these false, uh, these heresies. It's essential that Paul remind them of these things that were written in the Hebrew Scriptures through the prophecies of the likes of David, right? In Psalm 22, the suffering servant, did you know that that was prophesied a thousand years before Christ? Isn't that mind-blowing? Approximately a thousand years before Christ. We also read in Isaiah in chapter 53, which is approximately 700 years before the crucifixion. We don't really have time to go through all these passages uh, right now, but I encourage you to take note and uh, look it up for yourself. And then in Hosea chapter 1, written 800 years, approximately 800 years before Christ. And this references the resurrection indirectly by stating, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Is there anything more beautiful than the love story between Israel and Christ? One day, Israel is going to be uh, taken up to be with Christ. Those who believe that he came and that he died and that he rose again. There's more, um, this doesn't co- if this doesn't cause our faith to stir, then we should probably check our pulse. Amen? Who can do these things? Nobody can do these things except God. He's so amazing. A conservative estimate uh, here, Jesus fulfilled more than 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. It's a conservative estimate. And I want you to know that uh, I am not a Bible scholar. I'm not a great theologian. Um, I'm not gifted from the pulpit like Kofi or, or uh, Pastor Lucas Bradburn. Um, I'm just presenting things to you that are relevant to us um, in, our, uh, in our battle to know the gospel and to know um, what it implies to our lives. Okay. thirdly the evidence and the effectiveness of the gospel in the conclusion of this passage Paul piles on the evidence of his claims concerning the resurrection of Jesus by listing eyewitness accounts of those who saw the risen Savior with their own eyes of course we know uh, that Jesus appeared to the disciples uh, Peter, James, John Uh, many others and they all uh, their lives were changed after that meeting with Christ there are still those who deny the resurrection but one question that I have for them is if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead then why were all these men willing to be martyred for their belief in the resurrection I don't know anybody who would die for a lie do you? I like Lee Strobel's, uh, you guys know who Lee Strobel is? The Case for Christ, The Case for the Resurrection, The Case for Easter. Um, he wrote a lot of books like that. Um, I like this quote from him. He says, The resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and his inspired teaching. It's the proof of his triumph over sin and death. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of his followers. It's the basis of Christian hope. It's the miracle of all miracles. Amen. And of course, we know in Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 9, and Revelation chapter 1, these are just a few passages that attest the resurrection of Christ. And secondly, Paul uses his own testimony to vouch for the gospel's effectiveness in human transformation. I just want to take some time in Acts chapter 9. Feel free to turn with me there if you like. You guys read this story? Have you read it again and again and again and again? You should. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Here we know that Saul um, was a persecutor of the church, right? Stephen, the first martyr who was stoned, Paul looked upon that and he approved of it, right? He spent time taking men out of homes and throwing them in prison. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a violent, ruthless man. And Of course, uh, you know I'm paraphrasing a lot of this. Would you rather me just read it? I'm going to just read it. Let's read it. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at, at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he has a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Then, of course, we know that he met with the disciples for a few days, and immediately after that, what did he do? He went out and he started proclaiming the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to die for, the, for, for their sins, that he came and that he was uh, killed and that he rose again. I don't think we could find a more clearer um, conversion story than that of Saul to Paul. And I think that it's important for us to read about these types of stories so that our faith can be ignited so that our desire to share the gospel can be emboldened. Brothers and sisters, the more time we share in the, the more time we spend in the scriptures, the more time we spend around brothers and sisters talking about these things, the more we're going to be emboldened to do our part in fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, chapter, verse 18 through 20. Paul did so many great things. And, uh, and I think the things that he wrote about... Um, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, who, who, who has endured more for Christ that we know of? I can't think of anybody. All the years that he spent in prison, writing letters to the churches that he planted, raising people uh, like Timothy, uh, training them in the way and the truth and the life, teaching them how to lead other people in the church. Amazing ministry. But I also want to remind each of you here that God wants to use you where you are. There are people out here in Medford that you're going to reach that I'll never be able to reach. There are people in your family that you'll be able to reach that people like me will never be able to reach. What are we doing, brothers and sisters? What are we doing? So in conclusion... The gospel is God's good news, which is the entire Bible. We can see from from God's creation of Adam and Eve in the garden all the way uh, to the end of Revelation where Jesus comes as a glorious, uh, conquering king. We know that God's story is the good news, the good news to us, the good news that transcends time and space The good news that changes hearts and and uh, renews minds what is the gospel in a nutshell it's the good news concerning god the father's sovereign work of grace to save sanctify empower and equip people by faith and repentance through the person and work of his son jesus christ and the holy spirit and before we close i just wanted to say um, that there are four major points of the gospel. And uh, feel free to write these down. The first is a holy and righteous creator, God the Father, who created us, who holds us accountable. The second part, humans. The gospel is for us how we can be saved. That's the good news. What's the bad news? Well, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, we're all sinners. We all deserve death. We all deserve to be separated from God because we transgress His laws. We're objects of God's judgment and wrath. But God loved us so much, right? John 3.16 he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So God takes away the punishment that we deserve and gives us grace that we'll never deserve, that we'll never be able to, uh, to get on our own. How can we be saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And the fourth part, the decision. We have to make that decision, right? We have to decide to repent and believe. We have to work along with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. Sanctification requires our participation, right? Salvation isn't something that we can earn. It's not something that we'll ever deserve. It's a free gift from God, But if you want to grow and you want to be strong, it requires your participation. Are you praying? Are you in the scriptures? Are you sharing your faith with others? These are ways that we grow. These are ways that God refines us and makes us more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, which ought to be the goal of every Christian, to conform into the image of Christ. Amen? four major points of the gospel, God the Father, humans, Jesus, and the decision. In his book entitled Living the Cross-Centered Life, C.J. Mahaney says the following, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know this. Because of the cross, I'll be doing much better than I deserve. That's why, for the rest of my life, I want only to move deeper into the wonderful mystery of God's love for me. The gospel isn't just for unbelievers, it's for Christians too. Every day of our Christian experience, writes Jerry Bridges, should be a day of relating to God on the basis of his grace alone. We're not only saved by grace, we also live by grace every day. Brothers and sisters, I need the grace of Christ every moment of my life. Because I know myself well enough to know that given the opportunity, I'm prone to wander away from Him. I'm prone to question His word. I'm prone to get lazy in my prayer life and in my, sw- in, in my Bible study life. I become haphazard and unfruitful in the ministries that god wants to do in me and through me my wife suffers my children suffer the ministry suffers so just to uh lay out a little bit um here about how the gospel has really impacted my life um, i did share briefly um, but for those of you who don't know um, i'm from michigan born and raised in michigan Uh, When I was 22 years old, um, God saved me at an American Gospel Rescue Mission in Flint, Michigan. I stayed the night in the dorm, and of course, as is customary for men who stay in the dorm at the mission, they have to meet with the men's director, a man named Homer Bassett. And Homer Bassett uh, invited me into his office, and he said, Kenny Gray, tell me about your life. What led you? to the mission what happened in your life that caused you to come here to the mission and of course I shared little bits and pieces little things that I wanted him to know um, I held back a lot of things that he didn't want or that I didn't want him to know but after that whole thing he said Kenny don't you realize you need a relationship with Christ he wants to save you he wants to give your life meaning and purpose and it was at that moment that I surrendered my life to Christ And I can tell you that even even five years ago I never thought that I would be standing behind a pulpit or serving as a full-time missionary at Fur Point. God can change lives. He changed Saul into Paul. He changed me, a drug addict, alcoholic who probably should have died in a a ditch somewhere. (laughs) Um, and you know that's why um, I'm excited about the ministries of Fir Point Bible Camp because it gives me and others an opportunity to invite young people from broken homes, and it gets them in a place where we uh, it gets them to a place where they can see the beauty of God's creation. And of course, we confiscate their phones and their devices so they don't have any choice. But to um, you know to engage with other people who are there, and uh, and to hear the gospel and to hear the word of God preached and taught, and uh, you know in our time there in five years, there's probably been fifty or sixty kids who've come to know the Lord. But the other thing that I realize is that. Um, in working with follow-up the, the the quality of discipleship that they receive depends on the health of the churches in the community and the thing that I appreciate about Kofi is that he takes great delight in um, he handles the word properly and uh, he takes delight and sharing the word um, effectively and uh, and correctly. Preaching and teaching isn't my spiritual gift. Um, I'm more of a hospitality administrator guy. So, I just want to say thank you for being gracious to me as I brought this word to you this this afternoon, and. Uh, please pray for the ministry of Fur Point Bible Camp, and uh, please pray for our church, uh, Rogue Valley community, and the ministries that are happening there. Um, I don't know about you, but it's been a joy for me to see um, the cohesiveness of churches here in the valley uh, talking about your church and our church and Foots Creek Chapel and Evans Valley Community Church and um, other churches that really hold the Word of God uh, high and, and, and to a high standard. I know that there are churches that if we end up with any kids that come to Fair point from Medford, um, I can send them here. And uh, I, I can refer their families to this church because I know that the Word of God is going to be preached and taught correctly. But my, my, but my question is, and this will be the closing question, are you ready? Are you re- ready to disciple a bunch of young people if God sends them your way? Are you ready? I hope so. Because uh, we've got to be ready. All right, well, we are going to uh, are gonna close, but, b- but before we do that, um, I've been asked to uh, lead in the Lord's Supper. So uh, we're going to, uh, is it time to do that? Okie doke. So we're going to go ahead and uh, pass out the elements and then we're going to partake together, correct? While we pass these out, why don't you just take a moment, and uh, if you have anything that you need to confess to Christ before partaking of this communion, um, prepare your heart to meet with him. This is the way that God meets with his saints, but we are encouraged to come uh, with a clean heart. So if you have anything that you need to take before the Lord, let's go ahead and take the time and do that right now. So as Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Thank you, Jesus. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus.
1: If you'll stand and we'll uh, close out with our last song. God from who?
0: Well, Kenny, thank you for bringing the word to us today. And in closing, may you receive uh, the blessing of the Lord from Ephesians 6. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. May your week be blessed encouragement for your soul from the word today.